the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on Underdog Dynasty, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Not a great week for Conference USA in week two. Uh, definitely saw a lot of things we were not hoping to see from some of uh, CUSA's flagship schools. Uh, saw some other little surprising positive things as well, but we will dive into all of that in detail over the next 45 minutes or so. I'm Joe Lonergan, the Western Kentucky blogger over at UnderdogDynasty.com. Do some other CUSA-related things around the site as well. And joining me are FIU beat writer extraordinaire, Mr. Eric Henry. Welcome back, our regular co-host. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. I appreciate you having me back. And, yeah, I'll be here all season long, so let's go ahead and get started. For sure. Um, let's start off on one of those negative notes that I mentioned. Uh, Maine beating Western Kentucky 31-28. Now, this is a really hard pill to swallow. 31 unanswered points by the Black Bears after WKU got out to a 21-0 lead. Uh, that first quarter, the tops really looked reminiscent of those 2015 and 2016 teams uh, that really gained them some fame within the CFB world. But... Uh, following that first quarter, they looked as bad as really they've ever looked under Mike Sanford, Jeff Brom, Bobby Petrino, or any other coach for that matter. Um, offensive line was terrible. Secondary that we've complimented so much uh, didn't play particularly well. And the play calling, once again, made no sense in spots. And I've been more lenient than most Western Kentucky fans with Mike Sanford, and he's remaining adamant that he's going to get this ship righted and that everything's fine. But when an FCS team comes into your house and beats you in uniforms made by freaking New Balance, of all things, everything is not fine. Uh, We are in a low point of Western Kentucky football right now, unfortunately. Joe, I'm going to go ahead and uh, leave you a little bit more room because I, I genuinely am curious just, you know, your take uh, on, on what's going on here. Um, last week on the pod, I did call a main victory, and, you know, uh, I'm not going to be that I told you so guy. Um, th- the reason I, I said that, honestly, was because I just didn't like what I saw out of Western Kentucky uh, when they went up to Wisconsin. And, and Maine is a team that, you know, as I mentioned before, they weren't just any old run-of-the-mill FCS team. They were coming off a really strong victory versus the number six now, or number seven-ranked team in the in FCS in New Hampshire. And, uh, you know, for Mike Sanford's team, to lose in that fashion, being up 28 is your home opener and to get up 31 straight, uh, it's a tough pill to swallow, but I, I want to leave you some more room for your thoughts, Joe. I'm just curious, uh, what do you think is going on and, and what direction this program's heading in? It's tough to say, really, because I try to give any coach, really, that window of time to really kind of put in place what they need to uh, with, uh, you know, how many guys were left still from the like, Brom era and recruiting and all that. And I know Mike Sanford runs a different kind of offense, but at the same time, the, you can't lose as many games as they have with the amount of talent that they have and say, you know, oh, you know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, sure. There needs to be, you know, some kind of sense of urgency that I'm seeing. And frankly, you know, I, I watched Mike Sanford in that postgame presser, and, I mean, he looked – he looked a little dejected, but then he came back on Monday and, and he had some line that was, you know, oh, I love going back to the drawing board and finding solutions, you know, and okay, but this is your first stint as a head coach. And I think the reason or the uh, the concern rather that's kind of hanging over Western Kentucky fans and kind of has for most of the fan base for a while is justified right now because when he says, you know, I love going back and drawing solutions, he, he's never really been a head coach before. So we don't know if he actually has that ability or not. And um, the guy's grown up around coaches his whole life, so he's, you know, obviously fluent in coach speak, and I feel like that's all we're really getting right now. I, I don't see really any reason to believe that things are going in the right direction, unfortunately. 
I want to give Western Kentucky fans a quick uh, analogy here before we get moving on to the next game. Uh, I'm based here in Tampa, and this reminds me a lot of the transition from Jim Levitt, who had to uh, leave USF under, you know, kind of some controversial circumstances, and there was a transition to the next head coach in Skip Holtz. Another guy just like Mike Sanford, who is, is the son of a coach, has been around coaching his entire life, was making the transition from Levitt's players to his own players, and that USF program, when he took it over, was full of talent. By the time he left, uh, I believe they went three and nine. So uh, I'm not saying that's the direction that Western Kentucky's heading in. You know, it, it's only year two, so it's early, but I can kind of see it trending that way. Sure, and I think there's added reason for discomfort when you are coming off of two straight years where Western Kentucky was the pride of the conference, and now coming into it, it's really not looking like they're going to you know make a bowl this year. You know, you needed this win to kind of pad your schedule moving into uh conference play and that stretch at the end of the season where you're going to be playing on the road so much. Um and the fact that you aren't able to execute at home is extremely worrisome. And it, it's not just the fact that they lost, it's the fact that they lost because of the same reasons they've been losing over the last you know, year or so since Mike Sanford came in. You you keep wanting to think there's going to be improvement, and there's just not, <laughs> really. Um, so the offensive line needs to get better. The rushing game is still a joke. Um, and hopefully the younger guys who are coming into these roles are getting some good experience, and it leads to, you know, better results later this year and moving into the next year. So... But Mike Sanford's definitely kind of earned the hot seat at this point. Do you have anything else to add to this uh, to this topic, Eric? No, we can go ahead and transition into another um, somewhat underwhelming uh, CUSA team in FAU. Sure, uh, FAU went ahead and beat Air Force thirty-three to twenty-seven over the weekend. Um, as we wait for Devin Singletary to really break out, not that he had a bad game on Saturday by any means, um, but. We really saw a fantastic performance from quarterback Chris Robison, uh, 33 of 40 for 471 yards, a new school record, and uh, three passing touchdowns in that game. Scary fourth quarter in this one with Air Force blocking a punt and recovering it in the end zone, setting themselves up to tie it, but the Owls hang on to get the get in the uh, win column there. So uh, a weird day for FAU, but a win's a win, I guess. Sorry about that. I lost you for a second. Sorry about that. No worries. Um, yeah, um, I'm I'm with you, Joe. I'm kind of torn on this one. Uh, I'm a firm believer in, in in the sense that teams who run that flex bone offense like Air Force, kind of the triple option like Georgia Tech or Navy, they're matchup nightmares for defensive coordinators because chances are you're only going to see that defense one game a year, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's not a that's not an offense that that's run throughout uh, college football. So it's really kind of a game planning nightmare, and I wouldn't take it uh, too much to heart from an Owl fan. Uh, so you're a little you're a little disappointed that the fact that they gave up 28 points and the, the punt that's blocked in the end zone. But overall, hey, what matters is they got the W. Devin Singletary only 57 yards on the ground. Uh, you're a little troubled by that, but hell of a game for Chris Robson. Like we said, uh, they've had their QB struggles, and if, if he can come out and, and provide that weapon, uh, the offense, given that uh, the balance heading into the UCF week, uh, it'd be nice to see them kind of get going on a, on a full strength as they head into the game against uh, UCF. The other thing about Singletary in that game, he certainly would have had more yards, but I think uh, just the offense kind of got a little undisciplined and got some of his longer runs called back for penalties. I think he had, you know, upwards of a 60-ish yard run uh, called back because of a penalty, and that certainly would have padded his stat line a little bit. But, uh, you know, got to play a little bit sharper football if you're the FAU Owls moving into uh, week three. Um Another team that needs to be playing sharper football right now is the Charlotte 49ers. App State 45, uh, Charlotte 9 over the weekend. Not much to really take away from Charlotte in this one as App State continue to show that they are one of the top G5 programs in the nation right now. Uh, 54-yard field goal for John Cruz was the highlight for Charlotte, and he earned himself special teams player of the week in Conference USA for that performance. Uh, a lot of yellow in the stands at this game, despite it being a Charlotte home game. We kind of got that feeling going into it. And post-game, uh, Brad Lambert made the comment that 
there were three plays that really killed the 49ers in this game. And the fact is, that's not true. <laughs> App State dominated that game, and this really is exhibit Z at this point, why Lambert's days as a head coach are numbered, in my opinion. So I'm really glad you made that point. Because uh, that's something I had in my notes as well. And, and you know, when we uh, did our opening podcast to preview the season, you know, we're not here, you know, advocating for a coach to be fired. You know, that's that's you don't want to see anyone lose their job. But the fact of the matter is this: uh, Brad Lambert's team just isn't good enough to compete at at the CUSA level, and, and quite frankly, they might not be good enough to compete um, at the at the FBS level. Uh, no real shocker here. App State is the superior team, and there was a huge App State contingency in the stands. Chris Reynolds, Hassan Clue. Ben LeMay also held in check, so the 49ers really have no chance of beating anybody if they can't get those guys going. So, you know, for App State, they came in a little ticked off because they didn't beat Penn State and took it out on Brad Lambert's club. No shock here. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. I, this Charlotte team, I really hope we're not going to see another instance of like what UTEP, you know, quote unquote achieved last year with, uh, not winning a game, but it, it's certainly looking like things are moving in that direction for Charlotte. Just no real sense of, uh, like you mentioned, they're just completely, they were just completely outclassed in terms of talent in this game. And it's really looking like that pattern's going to repeat itself as we move down the year. Um, a really talented guy though in the league is uh, Isaiah Green. And he had another big day for Marshall as they beat Eastern Kentucky 32 to 16. Uh, another really productive day for Green, 278 passing touchdowns or <laughs> wow, that's not right. <laughs> 278 passing yards rather, uh, three touchdowns. Touchdowns, did throw one pick on the day. Uh, but with this game as a whole, there were nine total turnovers. Uh, Marshall lost three fumbles. EKU lost two. Marshall had the one pick that I mentioned. And Eastern Kentucky actually threw three. So kind of an ugly game, but the Herd are able to get it done, and they moved to 2-0. and yeah, you know, it was a bit of a sloppy game overall, or, or not a bit, it was a sloppy game overall for the herd. Um, you'd like to, to, to see what the defense did out, uh, put out there, and they picked off, uh, EKU quarterback Austin Scott three times. Scott was one of three players to attempt a pass for the Colonials, so clearly, you know, they have some quarterback issues going forward. But like you said, Isaiah Green steps up and kind of makes his case behind Mason Fine to be recognized as the second best quarterback in Conference USA, which I, I know exactly isn't saying much, because there are a lot of teams in the league who have quarterback issues, but you know, Isaiah Green is really stepping up as a redshirt freshman. And uh, Tyree Brady gets into the end zone. And, and personally, I thought he'd have a, a bit of a bigger game against an FCS opponent. But, you know, you can't complain with a W. As we'll see going forward and talking about the rest of CUSA, a win is a win is a win. So I won't hold it uh, uh, too uh, too hard against Marshall. You aren't too concerned about the, uh, the, the mistakes that we saw with how many times they turned the ball over. It's you, okay. Overall, you want to see a, a cleaner football game, of course, and, and especially when you're playing an FCS opponent. But Joe, you know, the rest of this league, they couldn't get the W. So it, it's hey, you know, you chalk it up, you put it in the win column, and that's why you practice going forward to try to clean up some of those mistakes. So um, it's not that you're not concerned, but you can't let those mistakes impede you getting the victory. And, and as long as they didn't do that, that's uh, that's something to be pleased about. Fair enough. Uh, another team that kind of followed that pattern over the weekend, Middle Tennessee State beat UT Martin 61 to 37. Sort of a confidence building day for Brent Stockstill with 407 yards and five passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns as well for the Blue Raiders in this game. Concerning day for that MTSU defense though, as they allow 460 yards and let UT Martin hold the ball for uh, 10 more minutes than they did in this one. So MTSU doing some good things, but have to find ways to get that defense off the field if they want to really uh, show us what they can do. Yeah, you know, I'm right there with you, Joe. You know, Blue Raiders come in and get the victory, and they hang 60 on Tennessee Martin. But, you know, to give up 37 points to to uh, one of the best names in football, <laughs> Dresser Wynn, uh, it, it's, that's got to be a little disheartening. You know, Wynn tosses four TDs and, and gets 355 yards passing. But uh, you want to see more from the D if you're Rick Stockskill. Uh, and if, if you're a Middle Tennessee State fan, I, I think you probably want to see your team get more of a decisive win because next week could get ugly in a hurry heading down to Athens playing Georgia. Yes, and we will get into uh, what kind of a mess that could turn into later in the show. But right now, 
Uh, we're going to shift gears and talk about Louisiana Tech making it ugly for Southern and a 54-17 to win. Uh, Tech was really in control of this game the whole time, netted 613 total yards, big days for Jamar Smith, Jacquis Dancy, and company. Uh, one of the few worry-free wins for Conference USA this week, honestly. So uh, anything about uh, what Louisiana Tech was able to do to the lowly Southern Jaguars uh, particularly impress you? You know, Joe, I'm going to kind of wrap this up, make it short and sweet. You know, uh, great job by Tech doing what I would have liked to have seen Middle Tennessee State do to a lesser opponent. Mm-hmm. So just overall, good team win. You know, they put this one out of reach early. As you said, you know, Jamar Smith uh, comes out with three touchdowns, two through the air, and one on the ground, and just overall a good team win. So that's why I would have liked to have seen someone like Middle Tennessee State do to a lesser opponent. They weren't able to do that, but uh, a lot of Tech goes on and takes care of business. That they did. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the Sun Belt continued their reign of dominance over Conference USA in the Louisiana Monroe Southern Miss game as the Warhawks squeak it out against the Golden Eagles 21 to 20. Four turnovers really killed USM in this one, including a pick of Jack Abraham that sealed the loss with 22 seconds left. The entire second half of this game was really just a comedy of errors all over from both teams. Uh, filled with turnovers and missed field goals, but the Warhawks ended up making one less mistake, and that's what got them the victory in this one. Yeah, Joe. You know, last week I made somewhat of a big deal if, if Jack Abraham could put a Quadra Greg's career at Southern Miss, uh, you know, to a close. And it's games like this why you have to ask the question. You know, it's not that you're trying to undermine Abraham and his play. You know, being a younger guy, he had a nice game, but it's it's two ints that may have very well made the difference in this ball game. But overall, you know, I don't want to focus too much on Southern Miss because you got to give credit to Matt Vietor's ball club who went into Hattiesburg and got the W. They they did what they had to do, and like you said, you know, the Sun Belt's reign of You know, it was a really frustrating day overall uh, when you kind of look at how that conference competed against Conference USA. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the Sun Belt won every single game that they played against Conference USA this week. I believe you're right, yes. Uh, that's frustrating. Um, and then we'll move into a game that was essentially that same result, uh, just in a different form, more or less. Coastal Carolina beating UAB 47-24. to Blazers led 24-20 to at the half. And then in the second half, Coastal quarterback Hilton Anderson had a huge performance through two touchdowns and ran for one on the day. Some really good things from the UAB run game like we thought we'd see. But the defense clearly needs some work, uh, giving up 463 yards and 25 first downs in this one. Uh, obviously, zero points in the second half is not what you want to see either um, if you have the kind of offensive talent that UAB does. So does this concern you about the future of the Blazers here? You were right. You jumped right into my notes, Joe, because you know one of the things that I noted is that uh, – UAB, in my opinion, they have all the talent in the world. You know, they, they have the talent to make a run at uh, CUSA West. They still can, but getting blown out in the fourth quarter by Coastal doesn't help. Uh, I don't know about you, but, you know, for me, this really was the, the surprise of the CUSA weekend. Uh, the Chanticleers, and that's one that I practiced a couple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they took AJ early out of the game. And he's a guy who I, I really like, you know, as he's, I believe last week I called him a game manager. And I don't mean that in a negative sense. It's just that he's a really smart, efficient quarterback. But you didn't really get much out of him. And Spencer Brown didn't reach the end zone. I, I think he had something like 94, 95 yards. Uh, nice game. But, you know, for him not to reach the end zone, uh, UAB has no chance of winning games like that. You know, the, the Blazer D was just obliterated. Um, and one of the things that was kind of concerning for me, Joe, and I'll talk about this in our, in our preview for UAB's upcoming game this week, Mm-hmm. is uh, James Noble. I, I didn't see much of him. I believe he had one carry for seven yards. Uh, you want to get that that, uh, that three-headed monster of James Noble, uh, Spencer Brown, and, and Kingston Davis going uh, early. So it's back to the drawing board for, for Bill Clark's ball club. Sure. And uh, defensively, you know, we've never really touted UAB as this amazing defensive ball club with so much focus being placed on that offense. But uh, what do you kind of take away from that side of the ball as they give up uh, 47 points to, uh, you know, to a team in Coastal that we, you know, didn't really expect this kind of performance from? 
Joe, you know, I want to come on, come on here and say, hey, you know, the, the Blazer D has to do better. They have to do this. They have to do that. Um, but I think that would almost kind of be, you know, dishonest of me because what did we see from CUSA overall in, in, in competing against teams that you think they would have beat? Bad defense. Sure. So it clearly, it's not just a UAB issue. You know, clearly they have to get better if they want to win the CUSA West. But I can't sit here and, and come down hard and say, hey, their defense did such a horrible job when it, that was kind of the trend all, all over the league. Sure, sure. Rub it in. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, we didn't really... I'm, I'm just, just stating the facts, buddy. I'm just stating the facts. That's all. That you are. Um, CUSA didn't really fare too well against uh, P5 competition this week either as UTSA loses to Baylor 37-20. to uh, UTSA didn't really look too bad here, save for the offensive line play. Uh, had Cordell Grundy actually had something resembling a pocket, he may have actually kept them in this game a little longer. Longer. But Baylor's got a good offense, go figure, and they showed it by scoring a lot and scoring quickly. Uh, Baylor controlled the pace of this one the whole way. There's definitely some improvement happening with UTSA as a whole. They just aren't quite there yet, clearly. So that's kind of my takeaways of this uh, Roadrunner ball club. You and I saw pretty much the same thing. You know, I, I expected Baylor to come in and win this ball game. Uh, UTSA had no real answer for Charlie Brewer, who I think is one of the most underrated Big 12 quarterbacks. But, you know, to be honest, I'm, I'm happy with UTSA's performance. After getting trounced in an ugly, ugly loss versus uh, Arizona State, you know, it, it, like you said, if Cordell Grundy had had time to throw the ball, you know, you might have been able to make a couple things happen because in, in my uh, POV, he didn't look bad. But, you know, there's really nothing surprising there if Baylor comes in and gets the win. But UTSA has something to build on, and you want to see them uh, kind of get the ball moving in the right direction as they as they try to get this program heading, heading uh, you know, get the ship ready going forward. What do you think of the way that UTSA scheduled these first three weeks? You start off with Arizona State, who ends up being, you know, one of the surprising – uh, more surprising, I should say, teams in the P5 to look forward to. Baylor, who is always an offensive threat. And then next week you have another uh, P5 team, uh, another Big 12 team even with Kansas State. Uh, so are they trying to, uh, you know, make a statement by saying, you know, now that we are fully invested in the football program here, we're not afraid to take on the big boys? Joe, I'm glad you asked me that because I, I love what they're doing. You know, I'm a fan of teams, you know, coming from those quote unquote, you know, non P5 conferences and, and saying, Hey, let's step up. Let's take on the big boys. Hey, because what's the worst that can happen? If you pull off the victory, you've made a statement for your team. You made a statement for your program that, Hey, we're heading in the right direction. If you lose, you are expected to lose. Uh, I want to bounce that off you, uh, and get your opinion really quick. You know, I don't know how you feel about it. You know, do you, do you kind of schedule, uh, three cupcakes? and get the wins, or are you a fan of them kind of scheduling up and playing tougher opponents? Uh, you know, I think it kind of varies by program to program, and I think it just kind of – based on where your program is at a certain point, that's what you kind of have to base that decision off of. I think if you are a team like – I don't know, UTEP or something like that. If they ask me, you know, do you want to schedule three P5s or, you know, an FCS and two G5s? I'm going an FCS and a two G5s every time with, with, you know, a roster that needs, uh, needs to build some confidence essentially. Um, you know, with, with UTSA, I think they've been recruiting well. And also I think in a market like Texas where you need to kind of set yourself apart from, you know, the A&Ms, the Longhorns, the, the Techs, I understand what they're doing from a brand standpoint. They're, they're really throwing themselves out there and, um, trying to make a statement on a big stage. Um, that being said, um, if, you know, they were a team that's, you know, won, you know, three games or so over the course of the last three years, I would say, hey, you know, maybe back down a notch and, uh, you know, get get an FCS team up here or something like that. But, you know, overall I'm in favor of it, but I don't think that practice is necessarily right for every team because at a certain point if you – keep scheduling yourself on these big stages and can't handle it, then you're just setting yourself up for embarrassment. And so far, I don't think UTSA's done that, though. 
I, I hear you, Joe. I mean, it's one of those things where you don't want to totally kill your team's confidence because think about it. If you go out there and you lose 80-0, to zero, you know, that might not be something that you can bounce back from for the rest of the year. But just overall as a whole, as we get ready to transition to this FIU game, I'm just a fan of kind of uh, assessing where your program is at. And, and I think it's kind of a win-win situation overall. But I do agree with you. You make good points. You kind of run that risk of kind of killing your, your team's confidence, especially, you know, like a team like UTEP. Right. Um, and you mentioned this FIU game that we're going to transition into here. Uh, two teams that actually needed a little bit of confidence moving forward for different reasons. FIU ended up winning this game 28-20 to behind uh, big days from James Morgan and Shondarius Phillips. Uh, the Panthers erased a 17-point deficit to come back and win this one. It means something more for the Panthers as they play for their teammates, Anthony Jones and uh, Hershon Miller, who were involved in a shooting earlier this week. Uh, both suffered non-life-threatening injuries, expected to make a full recovery. Uh, still a scary situation nonetheless. Eric, your thoughts on how the Panthers played in this game? You know, Joe, I was just really ecstatic with what I saw from the Panthers. And I wrote in my game story that the story of this team for 2018 may as well be resiliency. You know, you have that tough loss to IU. As you mentioned, you have two two teammates who are injured in a, in a drive-by shooting, something that they had, you know, nothing to be involved in, just visiting friends. Team falls behind early against ODU, but in doing so, they may have discovered their QB going forward. Uh, like you mentioned, James Morgan had a nice game. Statistically, this was Morgan's best game in exactly 365 days. Uh, since he was a Bowling Green Falcon. Leads the team on three long TD drives. And, and for Old Dominion, you know, they started quick. Uh, a guy that we've talked a lot about on this podcast, young Stephen Williams, he went 8 of 11 to start the game, and Jonathan Duhart looked unstoppable. The guy looked like Randy Moss in his prime, you know, in the first quarter. Um, ODU superstar O'Shane Himes, excuse me, O'Shane Zimenez. I knew I was going to look at that and say Himes because that's a uh, that's a road in Tampa. O'Shane Zimenez mm-hmm. uh, came out and had a heck of a game. Uh, but he was really shut down in, in the second half. So the adjustments that Butch Davis and company made, uh, uh, to come out and, and, and it was a very long extended halftime. That was a game that was delayed two hours with the Lightning. Uh, they made the right adjustments and came out and got a much needed victory. And I agree with your assessment there. On the Old Dominion side, we saw a lot of good from Jonathan Duhart, like you mentioned, who had some monster plays, including an 83-yard touchdown. Uh, they more or less gave Stephen Williams and Blake LaRusse equal reps in this game. So that shows to me that the Monarchs are clearly still trying to put it together um, in terms of a consistent a quarterback presence and B just trying to find the right formula to, to win games and um they certainly could have used the win here to kind of build some confidence moving forward after that uh that kind of embarrassing loss to Liberty last week. Um so Old Dominion trying to take steps in the right direction and you know we're just not totally seeing it yet. So hopefully they find a way to put it together. Yeah, Joe. You know, I'm going to bounce this off you really quickly as we transition to you, uh, North Texas game. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Williams, like you said, they they played him and Blake Larusa, and you know, Larusa looked good. I, I'm a huge Stephen Williams fan, but this is my question for you: uh, Is it a possibility that Steve Williams might just be too young? And, and I know that you know college football players in general are young; they're between 18 and 22. But uh, especially for a guy like Stephen Williams, his I don't want to get into analyzing his psyche, but his emotional maturity, you know, is there a chance that he might just need to, to sit down and, and watch a couple games? What are kind of your thoughts with him uh, in, in specificity to his age? It's hard for me to make that assessment without actually talking to the kid, you know, sure, or, uh, or getting or getting too deep inside that program. But, you know, I, I will be the first one. To say that, you know, age doesn't really mean a whole lot in terms of your job performance. It's just a matter of, you know, how much experience you get because, you know, I I think he has a leg up uh, moving forward on some of these other guys who are riding the bench for their teams and, you know, might not necessarily even get playing time until, you know, their redshirt senior year or whatever. But... In terms of right now, um, you know, it, it's hard for me to make that assessment because we keep saying, you know, oh, he got that experience his first year. He's going to bring that into this second year, and 
make things happen. And in these first two games, we just haven't seen too much of it. But I think his physical tools are there. I think if they stick with them, they'll, they'll end up getting rewarded. It's just a matter of how quickly is that going to happen. And, you know, it's it's certainly not happening super quickly. But there's a lot of football left to play. And uh, hopefully he can get that turned on in the next couple weeks here. Yeah, I, I think that's a completely fair assessment, Joe, and that's pretty much how I feel as we uh, move forward to looking to see a uh, North Texas matchup. Sure, and um, not too much to say about the North Texas matchup, really. Uh, they beat down Incarnate Word 58-16. to That Mean Green offense just totally moved the ball at will. 32 first downs, 607 yards. And this win comes against low-level competition, sure, but North Texas honestly looking like the highlight of the conference right now. Yeah, Joe, we ran a little long on Western Kentucky and ODU, so I'm going to make this one really quick. Mason Fine looked great. We'll be saying it all year long. Rico Bussey, Jalen Guyton get in the end zone. They take care of business against a really an overmatched incarnate work team. Sure. Um, I think they're just in a really good spot moving into that Arkansas game, which we'll move, uh, which we'll talk about a little later. But we'll move from the team that is right now the flagship CUSA football school to a team that uh, we're – Trying to sweep under the rug a little bit, unfortunately. UTEP 24, UNLV 52. Uh, two rushing touchdowns for Kyle Loxley were the highlights here, but the Miners turned the ball over three times and gave up over 500 yards. So really tough to watch if you're a Miner fan, and I'm trying to figure out where you know they're supposed to go, and I can't really even figure out what the next step is at this point. I'm personally, I'm a little more optimistic from a minor fan, not from the perspective of wins and losses, because I think you have to be realistic and know that this year, you know, Dana Dimmel really has his work cut out for him. It's going to be an uphill climb for him to rebuild that program. And UTEP did look over, did look um, outmatched against uh, UNLV. But Kai Loxley, you know, as a passer, he struggled, but he had two touchdowns on the ground. And, and when you can build a dual threat, uh, a dual threat quarterback like that, you know, that's something you like to see. So I, I, there's reason for optimism in, in my mind. If if you can kind of get him going. And use this year as kind of a you know a development year for him, but you know overall the minor D you know there's no match for for uh, UNLV quarterback Armani Rogers, who in my opinion is one of the most underrated dual threat QBs in the nation. You know that's Tony Sanchez's highest profile recruit since he's been at ULV, a uh, former four star recruit. Three passing TDs, 100 yards on the ground, and uh, yeah, like I said, for Dana Dimmel, you knew what he had going uh, going into this, so just kind of look for for little pieces, little gems going forward. Sure, and uh, hopefully one of those little gems moving forward is an actual victory, because uh, it's not really looking like it's it's looking less and less likely as the days go by. So hopefully, hopefully we're wrong, but right now it, it's not looking very good on that front. Hawaii beat Rice forty three to twenty nine though. Um, Cole McDonald played like we thought Cole McDonald would play three hundred nineteen yards, four touchdowns. Here's the thing with Rice, though, in this game. Um, four fumbles, one of which they lost, had some issues keeping Hawaii out of the backfield at times. But Rice still looks like they're taking steps forward to me, and that's a lot more than I can say for a lot of the teams in this league right now. So I'm happy with what Mike Bloomgren's been able to do so far. I think Stankovich is a good quarterback. I know I think Al fans would be a lot happier if they knew they had him for more than just this one year. Um, Sukpa is a great running back. Um, so Rice moving in the right direction. It's just not necessarily resulting in um, a lot of you know high profile victories right now. But I would say held their own against a Hawaii team that has. Uh, surprised us all right now and is again like App State and like uh, North Texas and and, uh, and UCF one of the better looking G5s right now it, Joe if I'm an Owl fan I don't necessarily know how to feel because this is a team you could easily make the case can be 3-0 um, you know it's not like they haven't played well enough and put themselves in position to win uh, but you know they are 1-2 heading into conference play uh, offensively like you said they've only got Sean Stankovic for one year and, and he had a nice evening uh, I was pleased to see the balance on the ground excuse me the balance overall as an offense as they had 125 yards on the ground but yeah you know like I mentioned last week this isn't your same old Hawaii run and shoot team that's going to throw the ball 85 times a game and run it one time uh, Cole McDonald had four, four passing TDs, but Freddie Holly, uh, nice game on the ground with 100 yards and two scores. Just too much for the Owls. That's true. Um, so with Rice, I feel like 
based on what happened last year and how just non-competitive they looked in some of those games, I feel like even taking, you know, these two losses against uh, Houston where they looked really competitive for a lot of that game and then, you know, not playing horribly against Hawaii in this one, I I would take that as a positive, certainly, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, Joe, and I'm I'm not trying to, you know, just totally, you know, crap all over that, that, that concept that, you know, they do look better, but this is where maybe, you know, me being a UCF grad, you know, kind of comes into play in my having slight bias. Uh, UCF went 0 and 11, or excuse me, 0 and 12, uh, one year. The next year, you know, 6 and 6 in a bowl game, and then the next year they're Peach Bowl champs. So, and, and I'm not saying that the talent level is the same between Rice and UCF. However, you know, you can get it done quickly, which is why I said, you know, for teams like UTEP, teams like Rice, you know, you want to kind of get it going quickly, uh, to get this thing going in the right direction. So, and, and Rice, like you said, or like I said, they can. They should realistically be three and zero. So the chances are there. They just got to go ahead and play four quarters of full football. You meant to say national champs, right? With UCF. <laughs> correct, national champs. Yeah. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. I've got someone else on the bandwagon. Like national champs, correct? Yeah, of course. Um, so taking all that into account, looking at where the league is right now, it's not necessarily in a great place. Uh, seven and eight to start the year in week one. Five and seven this week with Rice not winning against Hawaii. Um, I'm not. Super pleased <laughs> if I'm if I'm being completely honest. Uh, I'm obviously not happy with where Western Kentucky is. I think some of the you know the bottom dwellers of the league are still the bottom dwellers with UTEP looking virtually no different than how they looked last year. Rice looking a little better, but still probably not going to make a bowl game or, or win very many games. Charlotte still. Looks like a Brad Lambert coached FBS team, um, and it's just not good news right now. Where, what's your take on where this league is as a whole right now when it comes to football? I'm going to try to touch on this pretty quickly here. You know, FAU, that's a team that comes out and they're expected to, to really kind of make a run at a New Year's Six game. They're not looking like that type of team right now. Western Kentucky, uh, my notes say WTH, and, and there's another word or another letter that I'd like to use other than H, but this is a family-friendly podcast, so I'll, I'll leave that what the hell. Um, UAB, yeah, tough loss for them. Southern Miss, same thing. My thoughts on the conference as a whole is that, quite frankly, this, this league is more wide open than we anticipated. Uh, if you're an FIU, if you're a Louisiana Tech, if you're a Marshall fan, you should be excited because, you know, the, the conference is, is kind of up for grabs. But uh, overall, I'm, I, I, it's kind of hard for me to assess. I'm, I'm wondering to myself, did we think too highly of the league going for, um, uh, going into this year? Or, or, you know, are, are these teams kind of just what they are? I, I don't know. And, and it's only week three. So I, I guess as the season plays out, we'll find that out. But yeah, I'm just, I'm kind of conflicted as, as to how I should feel, um, about the league. I, I just know that if you're a fan of the, of the, uh, mid, middle of the pack teams, you got to be hopeful that your team has a shot to, to win this conference. That's true. That that is an interesting way to look at it. It's just that it's not necessarily a. I mean, it is a bad year, but it's more about the pal- the bower, the balance of power shifting within the conference. Um, I know I was drinking the FAU Kool Aid as hard as anybody, but it doesn't necessarily look like um, you know they are quite up to what they were able to do last year. And sure, we have a lot of football left, and conference play is right around the corner. So. It's one of those things where it's easy to overreact being only two weeks into the season, but at the same time, you know, you hoped that we kick things off with a little more of a bang after we had to wait seven agonizing months or however long it was with no college football. Um, yeah, so that that's kind of my opinion on where we are with, with Conference USA football right now. Yeah, Joe, as we get ready to look into, uh, you know, the upcoming games this week, I will say this. If FAU goes in and gets a win against UCF, you know, that, that changes everything. You know, it's, it's hope and sunshine again. And, um, and I still believe that they have a chance to do that. So, you know, the talent is there. I've, I've been kind of, you know, getting in arguments with people on Twitter about FAU's talent because some people are saying that they were, they were overrated. You know, they were really outclassed in Oklahoma. I made the point about Air Force, you know, you're playing a, that, that kind of uh, flexible offense that you're not going to see every day. So if they go into UCF and get a victory, uh, 
that for me kind of changes the entire outlook of the of conference and said, hey, we rose to the occasion, we got the win, and, and kind of represent the Conference USA. Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, we're not going to see that UCF-FAU game this week. Uh, first one right. that we are going to see is uh, Western Kentucky heading just up the road to Louisville, uh, playing the Cardinals there in uh, the newly named Cardinal Stadium. Took a certain pizza mogul's name off it. Good riddance, in my opinion. Uh, 4.30 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, so 7.30 Eastern time. Um, really, I'm not... Too optimistic about Western's chances, obviously. Uh, I think there are some decent, talented players on this Louisville team. Uh, Colin Wilson comes to mind. Uh, Puma, Juwan Pass. Um, really, that whole wideout group is really impressive. Um, but I think, really, this is going to be kind of a fun tailgate. Western fans and Louisville fans intermingle really well. But at the same time, I think Western's going to head back to Bowling Green 0-3 here. Joe, you know, you, you of all people know how I feel about this Western Kentucky team. You know, they, they have to come out and try to play a full game or even, I don't know, play half of a game. Right. Uh, Mike, Mike Sanford has to get something going, but uh, make it short and sweet. Western Kentucky has about as good of a chance to win this ball game as your said pizza mogul has of getting his name back on that stadium. <laughs> And at this point, I have accepted faith in both of those fronts, and it is what it is. <laughs> um, meanwhile, the UTEP Miners heading to Knoxville to play Tennessee in Neyland Stadium. Uh, noon kickoff is what we're set for on that one. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's too much to really talk about here. I think, you know, Tennessee's certainly not in an ideal spot as a program, but certainly in a better one than UTEP, and I think they run away with it. Yeah, Joe, I'm, I'm right there with you. You know, I, I, in my notes, I have Tennessee wins, wins easy. Uh, one of the things I want to see from a minor, once again, is a guy like in Kyle Oxley, uh, growth. I'm, I'm gonna make a point to look for that. You know, I want to see him put together a decent game as a passer and use his legs as well. Um, the offense put up 24 points, but, and I'm not saying they're gonna put up more than that versus Tennessee, but let's also see some growth from them as an offense. Uh, but easy win for, uh, well, Rocky Top. For sure. And you can catch that game on the SEC network if you feel so inclined. And the next one on the docket, Tulane heading to Birmingham to face UAB, another noon kickoff local time. I don't know a ton about Tulane. I'm interested to see uh, that offense in play. I know Jonathan Banks is having a pretty decent year, uh, 471 yards as the, as the quarterback. But, um, you know, defensively, I think – this is going to be an interesting matchup for that UAB rushing attack that we've talked so much about. Eric, what do you think is going to happen in this game? Yeah, Joe. Jonathan Banks, like you mentioned, is, is having a nice year so far. Uh, Tulane, last year as a team, they ran for a school record in, in rushing yards, but one of the things that hampered them was the transfer of uh, starting center Junior Diaz to FAU. Uh, so one of the things that I'm looking for and I, in a game that I think is going to be close, uh, I want to see A.J. Early bounce back and, and just kind of be that steady quarterback that he is. Uh, let's get the three-headed monster going. Spencer Brown, James Noble III, and Kingston Davis, I want to see all of them touch the ball and, and really just kind of control the clock to keep Jonathan Davis uh, um, off the field. So I think that's going to be the best way for UAB to win the game. Uh, and I'm, I'm picking UAB to respond and, and win a close one. Interesting. Uh, picking UAB to overcome Tulane being favored by four, which uh, certainly doable. And um, I, I think they certainly have the tools, so I'll go ahead and agree with you on that one. Um, Southern Miss heading to Boone, North Carolina to face App State in uh, what will be a 3.30 kickoff local time. App State favored by 14.5 is the betting line there. Um, I think if Jack Abraham is able to bounce back, uh, this game will be close-ish, but I just still think App State is a just a really impressive team right now. What they're able to do against Penn State and then what they, you know, the beating that they were able to put on Charlotte, I really have no reason to believe that they're not going to handle their business in this game. Yeah, Joe, I'm right there with you. You know, App State's looking like a heck of a program, and, and Zach Thomas is, is, a, is a guy who's a, is a heck of a quarterback for App State. Uh, if you're a Southern Miss fan, what you want to see is Jack Abraham. Uh, this is going to be the true test for him. You want to see him start quick, get in your playmaker's hands, obviously one of those guys being Quez Watkins. Uh, initially, it was a tough one for me to call because I, I think maybe my CUSA bias was coming into play, but uh, I've got App State go. App State, you know, Joe, they're, they're looking really good. 
Same here. Um, UTSA heading to Kansas State with a 3 p.m. kickoff. We talked a little bit about how UTSA has scheduled this year with the amount of Power 5 teams they're playing in the first three weeks. Um, you know, Ultimately, I don't think it's going to result in wins, but uh, certainly a strong move for their department and their brand moving forward. But KSU favored uh, 21 and a half points in this one, and I'm thinking it's not. I'm thinking that uh, they don't win by three touchdowns, but I think they still win. Yeah, Joe, you and I are on the same page. The last note I have is that K State wins, but not in a blowout. Uh, I'm thinking something maybe like a 10 point victory. Um, you know, legendary uh, K State head coach Bill Snyder says that uh, his QB competition should be done between Skylar Thompson and, and Alex Delton. Uh, what I want to see here for UTSA is come out and uh, just show as a team that they, they can show some growth and keep it close going into the second half, but a K State victory as well, from my opinion. For sure. Now, I think this next game, North Texas playing Arkansas in Fayetteville, I think we have a decent shot to see CUSA pull off an upset here. Uh, that game is going to be at 3 p.m. local time, and it's on the SEC network. So this would be huge if Mason Fine and that North Texas offense can go into Arkansas and get this win. I think they can do it. But it's an SEC-level talent team, so I'm a little on the fence. Joe, I'm not on the fence at all. This was one of the teams uh, that one of the games that when we were doing our conference preview, uh, you know, last month, uh, I felt that UNT would go on and win this game in Fayetteville, and, and that's exactly what I think is going to happen. They're going to leave with a P5 win. Mason Fine in the Mean Green. They'll be fine, uh, kind of picking apart that Arkansas pass defense. Uh, KJ Carter Samuels had his way with the Razorback D. And Eastern Illinois uh, passed for three touchdowns and 235 yards I've got in my nose against Arkansas. So short and sweet. I believe UNT goes in there and gets the win. Hopefully you're right. And hopefully North Texas gives us USA fans something to cheer about here. Um, Old Dominion heading to Charlotte. They need something to cheer about right now. Uh, 6 p.m. is the kickoff time slated for that one on ESPN3. Um, I'm really interested to see what happens here. I think Old Dominion's going to win, but this is certainly Charlotte's one of their more winnable games on the schedule this year. Um, so Old Dominion's only favored by one and a half, and for their sake, I hope they can win by a little more, but I'm going to go ahead and pick the Monarchs to win in this game. Yeah, Joe, you know exactly what I'm interested in uh, in this game. I want to see the development of Stephen Williams. You know, Bobby Wilder, like we mentioned, did split reps between him and Blake Larusso versus FIU, and both show that they can make plays. Overall, the goal is a victory because ODU doesn't have one, but I'd like to see Stephen Williams kind of just continue to develop as a passer and as a player. Uh, O'Shane Zimenez, he's going to have a monster game, and he'll be the superstar that he is. And quite frankly, I, I think Old Dominion wins this one easily. Hopefully so. Uh, another game that CUSA should win easily in theory, FAU hosting Bethune-Cookman at 6 p.m. local time in Boca. Uh, I loved what I saw out of Chris Robinson last week. I loved what I'm seeing out of Devin Singletary and sort of the, uh, I guess, unsung hero of this offense right now for FAU is Javon Durante. He's caught 16 balls so far for 226 yards and a touchdown. Uh, it's you know, FAU's offense still finding their footing a little bit, I think. And what better way to uh, approach that situation by playing an FCS team at home moving forward? Um, so I'm certainly taking the Owls in this one by several points. <laughs> I, I want to apologize to uh, some of my uh, my friends and Cookman fans. I, I didn't want to make it seem as if I was overlooking Cookman. But I really was overlooking Cookman. Um, uh, you know, they they have a quarterback in Akavis Williams who was a four-star prospect and was recruited by Florida State and Northwestern, but decided to go to Cookman. So one of the things, just really quick, you want to look at for if you're an FAU fan is they've struggled with dual-threat quarterbacks all year. So please shut him down early. Uh, Chris Robeson, I think he'll have a field day. Establish Devin Singletary, and the Owls should get the victory. 100%. Um, Middle Tennessee goes to Georgia at 7:15 in Athens, the number three team in the country, favored by 32 and a half. This one is going to get ugly very quickly. Uh, expect a lot from Jake Fromm. Uh, expect a lot from DeAndre Swift. 
I don't I, – <laughs> I think it goes without saying who I'm picking here. Georgia wins by – you know, many, many touchdowns. Probably going to cover that 32.5-point spread. Going to go ahead and make this one quick, Joe. Jake Fromm is one of my favorite players in, in college football. In my opinion, he's going to be a future number one pick in the draft. Elijah Holyfield is a beast. Uh, I think uh, Rick Stocks to the club will go ahead, head into Athens, play the game, lose by two or three touchdowns, and then they'll find the nearest Murfreesboro, Tennessee bank to cash that check. <laughs> That's a fair way to uh, expect – what's going to happen after this game and Marshall going to South Carolina um, South Carolina favored by 14 and a half in this one at uh, 730 local time on ESPNU I think Isaiah Green's going to have another pretty solid game really solidify the fact that he is Marshall's guy moving forward at the quarterback spot but I think South Carolina is just a little too tough I think they're trending upward as a program right now and I think they're going to end up getting the win at home here yeah, Joe, I was I was really torn on this one because I, I do love everything I'm seeing out of Isaiah Green, uh, Tyree Brady, and a guy like Chase Hancock. You know, if, if they're going to have a chance against South Carolina, they're going to have to have uh, phenomenal games. Um, I don't know if this one is, is going to get in. I think something to look at is, is the hurricane coming that way. You know, we've already had a couple games that are canceled right. uh, in the in the Carolina areas. But overall, uh, excuse me, I think South Carolina is too much. Jake Bentley is a really good quarterback, and I think South Carolina uh, wins this one by by a score. Fair. And, uh, you know, hopefully for all our listeners in that area, please stay safe. Uh, don't know what's going to happen with that hurricane. Games have already been kind of scheduled, and that information is pretty easy to find. But uh, certainly keep an eye on that. And, you know, if you need to go somewhere to be safe, do that. Uh, UMass going to FIU, 7.30 local time. Um, FIU favored by four. Um, nothing really about what UMass has been able to do has impressed me that much. Uh, lone win so far was against Duquesne, where, who they put 58 points up on. Um, I think FIU is moving in the right direction um, with James Morgan and Shondarius Phillips and that entire offense. Liked some of the things I saw from that highly touted uh, defensive line unit in that last game against Old Dominion. I think FIU is going to take this one and uh, you know certainly going to win it by more than four points, I think. Yeah, Joe, I'm, I'm hoping to see the same thing. You know, as FIU's beat writer, you will see me at my usual spot in the press box above section 120. Uh, James Morgan has a chance to kind of close out the, comp- the QB competition for FIU. Uh, get the run game going early. Uh, stay out of third and longs. UMass is a team that gave up 79% completions to Boston College and then gave up over 300 yards rushing to Georgia Southern. Uh, so FIU should, has more than enough talent to get this, uh, get the, get the victory and win easily. If UMass is going to have ed- any shot, uh, it's going to be, uh, with the talent of a guy like Andy Isabella at wideout uh, against the FIU pass defense, which is still a work in progress. But uh, I'm taking FIU by 10. Fair enough. So hopefully we have a better week for Conference USA this week than we did last week. Not a whole lot of, like we mentioned, not a whole lot to be happy about from this past week. But this one's a new week. It's a new slate of games, and hopefully we're going to see some big performances by Isaiah Green, Mason Fine, and all the other great playmakers in Conference USA because we know they're there. Um, so thank you all for listening to another edition of the Underdog Podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter and Facebook. Um, just visit the site every day for more G5 football content. And I want to say, once again, if you're in the path of the hurricane, please stay safe, pay attention to the weather updates, and, uh, you know, do what you need to do. Um, Eric, once again, great show, buddy. Um, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. Happy football watching, everybody. Have a great weekend.